Welcome to Archiving AK, a podcast of archives and special collections at the UAA APU Consortium Library in Anchorage, Alaska. We're here to talk about what we do, what our researchers are up to, and to give you a closer look at the world of archives. I'm Arlene. I'm one of the archivists here at the Consortium Library. This podcast is the second part of a conversation I had with three of the curators at the Ketchikan Museums, Haley Chambers, Erica Christian, and Ryan McHale. If you haven't listened to part one, you might want to go back and listen to that first, for the introductions at least, because with this one, we're just going to dive right into Haley talking about their oral history program. So here's Haley. With the historical perspective, because we at the at the Ketchikan Museums have had an existing collection of oral histories from a lot of work was collected with from the Tongass Historical Society and some other earlier projects in the community. So back in the 1960s, there had been, a, I think, a University of Alaska Southeast um, class where people um, went out and interviewed, you know, kind of older, very influential people in the community and got transcripts of, of those interviews, as well as a a really cool project in the 1990s that was done in conjunction with the Friends of the Library and the Historical Society and some other community groups. And again, it was like another group of people who went out and interviewed a lot of the, you know, kind of influential, important elders in the community. With that project, they they seemed to try to hit different groups. So trying to talk with some of the Native people in our areas, as well as Filipino and um, Norwegian. And I mentioned in the last program as well that we're fortunate enough to have gotten a grant from uh, a collections management fund grant from Museums Alaska for $15,000 to digitize um, a whole nestload of cassettes from our collection. And a lot of those, you know, might relate to some of the transcripts that we have in the collection. Um, But there's a lot of stuff that we just, we have no idea really what's on those tapes. Um, We just have what's on the labels to go by as to what's actually a part of the tape. So we're really excited to, you know, get that material back and kind of see or listen to rather (laughs) um, on those tapes. And I think there's going to be, you know, just some really wonderful information. And, and even at the bare minimum, just to hear certain people's voices is very powerful. And that's going to be very exciting, I think, for the community. But about, I want to say it was like maybe about three years ago, there was a lot of kind of chatter amongst us at the museum and um, trying to do some strategic planning. And, you know, one of the big things that came up was that we really wanted to you know, kind of revive the oral history program. And we had sought out a local community foundation grant. And that grant helped us purchase um, some audio equipment. And it helped us kind of get the, the footing under us for the for the oral history program. But, you know, it kind of came about at a time where we were in staff transition. Um, so we really weren't able to do much work with that. Um, and a couple of years ago, Erica Jane came on board and, and she can probably start <laughs> filling us in um, you know, on, on the awesome work that she's doing with contemporary recordings. Yeah, sure. And this really does go hand in hand, Arlene. I mean, you mentioned how do we look to like the long-term care of this? How are interviews processed? So for us, from a project planning point of view, it was really great to kind of 
take this as a hard reset of we have, you know, equipment now, we've got a, a bevy of volunteers. So I think we've got, you know, five or six community members right now who are just really active and involved and really wanting to have conversation, which is like, that's a good starting point to have. So being able to have the equipment, being able to have volunteers who are willing to like, you know, go through training and be walked through, like, here are the things we need so that we can look 50 years down the line and make certain we have, uh, you know, from the collection standpoint, everything we need to know to actually present these interviews, maybe in a future exhibit or, you know, all, all these different facets and things. So it's been really great for us from that point of view, too, of having the hardware and kind of being able to figure out directly with our collections and archives, what do we need to do? Like, what is the best way to go about this so that we have all the background, all the metadata that might be needed in the future? So I'm not a collections or archival person, uh, but I'm all about not giving a headache to our crew and our staff. <laughs> You know, an, an interesting learning curve. And uh, I have to say, like, one of the best things is just being able to, like, check in periodically and, you know, be like, does our paperwork make sense? You know, is, is the equipment working out okay? Are there things that we can do to improve? And, you know, that's something that we do ourselves, but we also check in with the people that we're working with as well to just see, you know, what how things are, <laughs> where we can make improvements. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to be an ongoing kind of growing thing, but, but getting to, you know, some of the points Erica Jane made, you know, from the outside of the program, we kind of wanted to set ourselves up for success and thinking long-term. So, you know, I don't know for sure that we have all of the right answers, but we reached out to a lot of different institutions that do oral history, um, you know, in the state and all kinds of other places down south. And um, we got a lot of great feedback and, you know, thinking about like even just file types, like what file types right. you're recording in, um, you know, and, and that in and of itself is kind of presented, you know, some conundrums because we, you know, we try really hard to get, you know, things in a wave format because we know that there's a lot of flexibility with that. And, and there's a, a it's kind of a universal format that can be, used. Um, but you know, there are times where, you know, even recently um, we were approached with a donation and it's, you know, slightly older interviews, not terribly, about 10 years old, um, but you know, they're on MP3 formats and I'm still not a, a techie person to fully understand all of the differences, but I know it's a lower quality and, um, you know, we don't want to preclude ourselves from being able to collect or save things that way, but, you know, we're really striving for a certain standard going forward. Yeah, yeah, and it's really been, I mean, we, we've had to look at it too, um, so, I mean, that's been kind of the answer of, of everything is, uh, you know, if an artifact comes in or an object comes in or, you know, just talking or thinking about different community members, you know, our, our wonderful board, you know, everyone else, you know, a lot of our stakeholders, it's, oh, we should do an oral history with them. <laughs> like, like it comes up all the time. And so we're saying, well, okay, how can we prioritize these interviews? Um, who do we need to talk to? We need to like, you know, I think one of the things we're prioritizing a lot is getting family and friends involved, especially for me. I'm, I'm not from Alaska. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm new to the community relatively. And so there are a lot of questions and things that I wouldn't need know to ask. Um, so it's really great to have, you know, to sit in on these interviews, to facilitate them or to actively interview. 
because I'm able to ask a lot of those questions, uh, you know, a lot of the fun acronyms or um, <laughs> where these different business sites yeah. were, or, you know, kind of our, our local shorthand for so many places that because I'm not locally here or part yeah. of that community. That's a huge advantage that, that Erica Jane's. Yeah. Kind of, I don't consider that new anymore. <laughs> I know. But, <laughs> Or of your newness, it, it, it does allow you to ask those questions because you go back and you listen to some of the older interviews and there's so many times where I've just like thrown my hands up in frustration and I'm like, I want to know what, which Michael he's talking about or what he's yeah. at. And old Stevie. And it's like, okay, but who is this man that everyone's <laughs> referencing? Like everyone knows him, but like, who is he? And so being right. able to, you know, have family members or friends in those conversations who can, you know, expand on that or that can even direct conversations. I, I think that's too, like, it's, it's a very much a formal process. We are trying to, you know, use best practices, but I think there is very much an Alaska flavor. Like there is an informal appeal to things too, where we're really trying to actively facilitate a conversation. You know, it's, it's, there's so many really personal stories that are shared and I think that might not have been, you know, something yeah. that could actually happen if we went about it in a different way. It kind of puts people at ease, you know, like when you do it like a traditional oral history, it can be very intimidating for people, um, you know, because you come in and you've got this list of questions. You're like, I'm going to ask you these things. And and then I, kn- I know with myself, when I interview, I, I don't talk like I normally would in a conversation where I'm like <laughs> interrupting and you know, sharing my own stuff, I try to be very quiet. And that, that I feel like can be kind of a little off. putting. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's hard to even laugh or comment because yeah. you don't want it to be on the recording. Yeah. I don't want, I don't <laughs> I want a lot about it. Yeah. I don't, cause I don't want myself to then become like a part of, I want the people that I'm talking to, to really be the one shining. I don't want to, I don't want to then become involved with it. But it's great, like when they're with somebody that they know and they're comfortable with, it just seems to put people at ease and they're more likely, I think, to to be able to share a little bit more rather than have like a super short answer. Yeah, and right. you, you, you build these relationships, like one of the one of the projects I've really gotten a lot out of, um, you know, personally, as far as just learning more about the community that I live in now. Um, is up until about uh, a month and a half ago, of course, you know, uh, with COVID restrictions and um, with safety in mind, uh, we had been visiting our local pioneer home every week on Wednesday and talking with residents. So some of those folks were, you know, our territorials who've, you know, been and lived in Ketchikan yeah. for years and years. And the, the timing of that too mm. has just been, you know, really critical as well. You know, the, the folks that are in the pioneer home, they are, elders in the community, um, some of them, you know, their memories are starting to go. Some of them are extremely sharp and remember all kinds of details. But, you know, just within the last month, two people that Erica Jane had interviewed, they've already passed away. Um, so we can underscore like the, the timing and how critical that is. You know, we can't obviously predict those things. That, that's just how life is. But but these are, you know, important interviews and we're really grateful that that we came in on that project at just the right time. Yeah, but I mean, you always kind of think too of uh, like, I mean, it's, I have a document of follow-up questions with both of those individuals and it's like, you know, who do we go to to ask some of these questions or, you know, are there other, other stories or things, you know, you wish you'd asked, of course. Right. Um, but there are so many community members too who are kind of, 
energized by the fact that the project exists um, and the fact that it's not just us. Um, I think we're really working too to build capacity within our community. So it doesn't have to be us. It doesn't have to be me doing the interviewing or you know, even any of our volunteers or staff members yeah. um, being able to produce workshops. Uh, we had a couple last year where we invited community members of, hey, if you wanna start recording your family history, here's some of the best formats you can use. Of course, it's, it's sort of self-serving too, because we're like, if they bought <laughs> all these eyes and they get this information, if down the line they wish to donate it, it's a lot easier for us to be like, oh, this is great. They went through training. <laughs> well, that, that actually raises the question. And it's, it's you know, when you, when you turn this out to the community and encourage them to collect them th themselves with potentially the idea that they may come in later, but mm. it's also something that applies to a lot of our legacy materials, which is a kind word for, you know, the stuff that we did before we were really trying to do it with best practices is, you know, I know what our risk managers would say about some of these things and all the sign offs they'd like to get. How are you approaching that when we currently if we're, we're actively say doing or an oral history project or or somebody comes to us and says, I want to do an oral history project that I will then hand over to you. We hand them this oral history deed basically and say, please use this. The university council has said this is good to go. So this is what we need. How do you do that with, say, the legacy materials or when you're going out to the community and encouraging them to tape their own family? How are you assuring the paperwork side of these things? Because, you know, 30 years ago, nobody was thinking about putting these oral histories on the web. That didn't occur mm -hmm. to anybody. But well, maybe 40 years ago. But but now, you know, and, and another 20 years, who knows how we might be sharing these things? How, how are you at approaching that aspect of it? Yeah, Haley, Haley you can yeah. definitely hit that for us. So there's kind of like two parts to this. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> because, um, you know, part of it is like dealing with, I, I love your term, the legacy materials. I'm going to steal that and use that from now on. We, you know, we have a lot of older oral histories and some of those, again, are kind of tied in with the, the grant project that we're going to be doing. And this, this is sort of like a new area of how we're going to go about this. Um, we, we worked really hard recently to craft an oral history gift and release agreement. And we spent a lot of time working on it and fretting over like individual words and the meaning behind the words. We really felt like it was creating a partnership with the people that that we're working with. Um, so we we crafted that document in a way that would allow us, you know, kind of standard museum use. We don't want to have to go back to people every time we want to use it for an exhibit or for research purposes. Um, so um, we talk about that. We we talk about how, you know, things that they might share with us in addition to the interview, um, like any photos or, you know, that might potentially become a, a donation. But again, we've given ourselves some outs um, with our language. So we're not necessarily guaranteeing that everything will become part of the collection, but um, but our language allows us to do that if that's what we choose. And our language also, or, or the paperwork, it also has a way for us to kind of identify whether it's like an older interview or whether it's a current one. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to share kind of a funny story <laughs> with um, our, our current interviews. Um, so 
one of the projects that I've been working on um, in relation to oral history, it, it doesn't have a fancy name yet, but we are working with a, a younger local photographer. She had approached us with this really cool idea of how she'd always wanted to take pictures of the old wooden boats that are in our community and kind of knowing where we're at with fishing and, um, you know, how older boats are really being phased out. And there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of boats that are kind of going away. We thought, you know, this is kind of a cool idea. So we partnered with her and originally the project was only going to be like her taking pictures of boats. Um, but then we were like, well, if she's going out, <laughs> if she's going out and she's talking to the, you know, the captains or people on the boat, like we might as well send her with a recorder and see, you know, if they'll share anything with us. And, you know, we have gotten, I think she's done, gosh, about 10 boats now. And it, it's just been a totally fascinating project. But it, uh, she visited yesterday. And that, that's why the story is like, this, really, is, this is new information to us too, Arlene. So we're, <laughs> but um, but she, um, she brought in a lot of the paperwork from those recent interviews. And, you know, she was telling me about this trip out on one of the boats. They went out to a, a nearby bay and they were, you know, fishing. And there were several people on the boat who were talking and who like might appear on the recording. the recording. So we wanted to make sure, you know, and that was part of her training too, was like, you know, anybody who's, you know, who appears and does some kind of talking, you know, they need to sign the paperwork. And um, you know, during, while they're out fishing, you know, the boat captain's wife, she fell and she ended up hurting herself like pretty oh. significantly on the boat. Um, she ended up breaking a couple of ribs <gasps> and she didn't, she's on the recordings. She didn't end up signing paperwork. And it's like, well, you know, that's like an, an extenuating circumstance. You can't predict that kind of stuff. And it's like, right. that's not a problem. You know, we know where they live and we can, <laughs> We can send, you know, a copy of the paperwork out. So that is a, you know, it's not, I guess, in my mind, a major issue. But the older, the older items in the collection, that's still kind of a big fuzzy gray area. Um, and this grant project is kind of a great way to not just tiptoe, but we're going to kind of go full force into it. So you know, we've got like 284 tapes. There's a lot of different people represented. There are going to be tapes where, you know, we know for sure who's on it. There are going to be tapes where we have no idea. And those ones, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to approach those situations. But some of them, you know, there are names that I recognize of people that, you know, they're still alive. They still live in the community or it might be a family member of somebody that we know. So those um, are some of our easier yeah, ones to track kind down. Kind of our, our low-hanging fruit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reaching out to those people and let them know about this grant project that, you know, we have a tape with, you know, either them or their relative in the collection and that, you know, we're getting it digitized. And I want to get them excited about it. You know, I think we also are wanting to share copies of that stuff with them once we have them back. Um, but I also want to introduce the idea of paperwork and that, you know, we're interested in making sure that we can make this stuff useful um, now and into the future. So I, I'm really excited about that. And, and I know there's, there's also the possibility that, you know, a tape might come back 
with no information because it might have been damaged or the information was lost. So I know that there's the potential for having some difficult conversations, but I think I'm okay with that. And then, you know, once once we do have that content out, um, I'm hopeful that we might be able to do some advertising on on social media or even in our newspaper of just, you know, hey, you know, we're looking for these people. <laughs> Contact the museum. We have something to share with you. I, I think there's there's some ways to to do some footwork there, but it is going to be a very time consuming thing. Um, so right. I'm probably going to end up relying on my coworkers as I often <laughs> do. And, and it's great because we, you know, we kind of have a lot of interests outside of work. So we have a lot of different connections in the community. So I'm, I'm hopeful. And I've heard, you know, of other organizations where they've kind of taken a chance and just shared something and you know they might not have known a family member but some obscure person uh, related to the family you know comes out of the woodwork yeah they contact them and then you know they're able to have that conversation and get things get things signed so did the risk assessment in you just kind of quiver a little bit (laughs) no actually because I'm I'm engaged in a very similar project um this year's the 50th anniversary of ANCSA the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act of course and we just got a grant to digitize some oral histories in our collection that that somebody had produced for a book that had done as part of the research for a book so of course nothing was signed and and a lot of these are names I recognize but a piece of it that I put in as the grant is the time to actually try and track folks down and write letters I'm actually waiting till the tapes are digitized so I can send along a copy of the recording mm-hmm. with the request but you know it's just a different approach but and partly because I'm lazy and because we're making progress on the digitization and I'm not making progress on writing any letters. <laughs> so no, I mean, because my kind of conclusion is we can still make them potentially available for access, but I'm probably not going to put them up on the open web if we don't have some sort of permissions document. So that's kind of the, the mental crossing point for me is whether it's made universally available or whether it's uh okay no you have to come in and 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 talk to us a little bit before you listen to this thing about potential use issues so no no the risk manager in me is not screaming at all because the risk manager in me will always be eaten alive by the access side of me (laughs) to answer the other part of that question that you asked um you know how we're looking at you know, I think it's really down to empowering the community, you know, saying, being willing to, you know, there's this idea of, hey, maybe we just need to take a deep breath, realize that there might be oral histories and things that we'll never get access to, or they'll never have the paperwork filled out in the way that we'd want it to. But just really trying to get comfortable with sharing that authority and sharing that agency with people Mm -hmm. of, I can go to bed at night and feel good knowing that at some point in time, that story that we really wanted to have recorded was recorded by someone. Well, for me, that's just knowing that it's out there is is kind of a piece too. And then too, for us, just looking forward to future exhibits. um, I know Haley talked a little bit about that boat project, but I know from the exhibits point of view too, with Ryan planning something in the future of, you know, if we look at five years out and are we going to do an exhibit about our waterfront or working boats or, you know, providing information for people who might be documenting some of these wooden boats that are really are at the last end of their life. It's like, what can we produce or work on or work toward that can really add to that 
you know, that available archive or that available collection that people can draw from. Right. Well, that's so cool. I, I'm just, I can't wait to see what you guys get from that. <laughs> yeah. I really do. I'm just like, Ooh, I want to hear more. I want to hear more. I actually, I wanted to turn it over to Ryan yeah. because he's been awfully quiet. Yes, over. He has been. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it would be neat for Ryan to talk a little bit about how he, um, how he uses oral histories for exhibits yeah, and some of the future planning. Cause I know um, we're actually coming up on 50 years here at the Totem Heritage Center and there's a facet of oral history and, and that connection between exhibits too. So I'll, we'll let Ryan talk a little bit about that. <laughs> so part of our exhibit process and something that, that, we're, that I'm incorporating into my own job here is, is really, like Erica Jane said, is sharing that authority and empowering our community to share their stories. So then in exhibits, they can hear their voices and see their own experiences represented within our community. So with going back to that aviation exhibit that we have Into the Wind, during the production of that, I interviewed community members involved in aviation. And some of those were informal conversations with coffee and and some pastries. But a lot of them too, I would circle back and then interview them because you might have an interesting story or an aspect that I really want to make sure we represent well within the exhibit. And uh, what we've done now after some reflection after that exhibit is realizing that as I'm reaching out to our community, I could be doing dual work and also be recording oral histories. And uh, like, like we have been talking about too, everything that we're doing is really future oriented as well as how can we, even though I'm just sitting down and having a conversation with someone how can this also help us out in the future for exhibits or for programming or even just researchers wanting to know certain aspects of, of the industry or, or people's lives, whatever that is. And one of the cool interviews that uh, Ryan did was with like a young pilot. His grand, He comes from like a legacy family and his grandfather is a very well-known pilot. Um, so aviation is kind of in his blood, but he's 20. And listening to, you know, somebody who's super young and just starting out, you know, compared to somebody who's like, been in the business for a long time and kind of been there and done that seen everything um it's really interesting and you know I don't I don't know how things will play out but it certainly would be interesting to track his trajectory as Mm -hmm. he grows in his career yeah and, and some of the opportunities too that I think we're really trying to normalize oral history in our practice too um so that you know whipping out a recorder and the paperwork and asking people to like hey can you tell us about how this object works, or can we film this even? Um, you know, that's definitely something we want to do. Um, so I don't know if Ryan can talk a little bit about being able to fly and go and interview. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so we had, you know, more of that COVID collecting. Um, Ryan got to go on a little bit of a trip and do some oral history reporting. Yeah. So I really love my job, um, like we all do. <laughs> but I think what's amazing about our, our positions here is that we have some opportunities to do some really cool stuff. And um, one of those was uh, flying to uh, Hyder, Alaska with public health to document their vaccine rollout in, in the community of Hyder. And um, being a remote community that only has uh, access from mail via float plane or um, they're right on the border with Stewart in, uh, in BC, 
but um, because of COVID, the border has been shut down and there was limit, limited access of how community members in Hyder are able to um, spend time in, in Canada for only essential purposes and only for um, a limited number of hours. So being able to get vaccinated offered the community the chance in the future for more access into Canada because now that they are protected, um, as border uh, relations change and things like that, restrictions open up, that they're they're more freely able to do that because these communities are really one, even though they're right. the bordering the, the border there, they are one. And it was cool to be able to document that both with photography, but also sitting down and interviewing that. At the end of that day, it was interesting because it was it was sort of like a, a vacation trip for me uh, for the day. We were also able to get a lot of, I guess, both a pre-interview with the public health nurses that were going over and then a post-interview to really reflect on the experience. Then also incorporate that now into our collection because a, a lot of this is really able to show both the efforts and the struggles that are, are going on within our community and the community of Hyder as well. Yeah, and, and kind of getting back to, you know, something we, we brought up in the, the first podcast was just really kind trying to highlight um, what makes living in our area unique and difficult and challenging, but also really incredible at the Uh same time. (laughs) And and that trip to Hyder really, you know, it, it highlighted so many of those touchstones because it, you know, is a very significant moment for that community, but also, you know, really wonderful for our collections because, you know, Hyder is an area that we collect but it's not one where we have a lot of information and it was a, it was a great way to, you know, kind of build, start building relationships with, with residents there and to, to be able to actually go to the places that we represent in our collections is also really important uh, because it gives you a unique perspective of what it's like to live there. And so it, that was a really that was a really cool project. And, you know, the end result was, you know, incredible photos and really interesting interviews with people. Yeah. I mean, that's just one example of one of those projects or one of those instances just in the community here in Southern Southeast, that if we hadn't been able to plug into that, that story on that given day with those people wouldn't have been captured. And we would have really lost, um, you know, some of those uh, more intangible aspects of what COVID has been like here in Southern Southeast. And I think that's kind of reflected too in a lot of the other work we're doing is, you know, these are materials that might otherwise be lost. So when we're forward thinking and saying like in 10 years time, if we did an exhibit, what are those stories that we really want to make certain that are captured? Um, so that's been, you know, some of that pursuit too. Right. And it's been a balance too, because you know, you have one idea and then all of a sudden you've got 30 ideas and <laughs> everybody you want to interview, you, or everybody you talk to, you want to interview. And so it, it's interesting, you know, we have a lot of conversations about how to approach these things and who we should talk to and, you know, what, where we can find meeting from. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, that Into the Wind is a really good example too of in sending Ryan out on coffee and pastry runs um, well, no, no, and, and having those conversations, we were really able to invite community members that wouldn't traditionally come into the museum to not only come into the museum, but to see themselves reflected. And then from the collections point, I know Haley mentioned that there were 
you know, loans that we pursued because it was a gap in the collection. Uh, and then in the turn of that, you know, some of those loan items that we really needed to help tell these stories have in turn become, you know, donations to us. Right. And a lot of those conversations and what we're doing is, is really about relationship building and mm -hmm. making sure that what we're doing is, is actually building long-term relations, not only with our, our community, but outlying communities and organizations. And it's been very rewarding for us, both as an institution, but personally, for us to really get to know community members on a very personal basis. And, and now, like, for example, that trip in Hyder, I have a few friends in Hyder that I keep in touch with. And now we also have a connection in Hyder to, to share their history and, and work with them on what is it, what does it mean to live in Hyder? What is that experience? Yeah, it's definitely helped with, you know, outreach and advocacy as far as like why museums in our community matter. Mm -hmm. um, and that the material that we hold, archives aren't just, you know, a, a cavernous void that no one, you know, interacts with, but that our collection matters. It's not just old stuff. It's really, you know, tangible facets of history that we can connect with, whether it's through exhibits um, or it's through programming elements, but that what we have in our collection matters. And it's, you know, something that can matter in the contemporary and we can project into the future too, as far as some of those things we hope to, to record and add to that collection. Uh, and I think too, like from an organizational standpoint, so this might not be the most positive thing to talk about, but you know, we are again, we're we're an organization that's part of the city of Ketchikan. So we are funded by the municipality. And I think it's absolutely critical for any organization to show that they're valuable, that they make an impact. But you know, especially for ourselves, you know, it's we have to we have to advocate for our own. For existence. our own, yeah, that, <laughs> right. that we are valuable, that we do provide meaning, um, you know, because we are competing in a sense with the fire department and the police department and, you know, other like absolutely critical services for a community. But I, I think that, you know, we try to emphasize that, you know, the health of a community is absolutely those services, but it's also the arts. It's also understanding our history and finding meaning in our institutions. Um, and being so. able to hold that space for our community to come together and reflect and uh, maybe have conversations about difficult issues. It, it's, it's really important. Yeah, we're really excited. And maybe we might have to check in again with you guys for uh, you know, an additional podcast. <laughs> um, one, of the, uh, one of the upcoming exhibits that uh, Ryan is right in the mix of, of planning and going out and actually conducting additional interviews for um, and that we're really starting to you know, reach out and involve the community in is actually an exhibit all about community. Um, so I'm sure we're going to see that reflected again in, in the collection and what we have and what we find we don't have but exploring some of those ideas of, you know, just how we identify with living in Southern Southeast. Haley's, you know, mentioned a couple of times that there are those facets, those individual stories, you know, those unique underrepresented voices that we might not otherwise hold in the collection or be able to exhibit or have programming around uh, if we're not actively going out and creating exhibit opportunities and, you know, having those voices or going out and doing those oral histories or, uh, you know, seeing what documents and things we should be collecting. So. It really does feel like a 24-7 job some days, doesn't oh, it? <laughs> so, very, very much so, especially with COVID. But, you know, last year, um, last year, there were so many, like, interesting 
things that happened nationally that also, you know, there were kind of repercussions in Ketchikan. And we had, you know, a fairly well publicized um, uh, encounter at one of the local businesses that had refused service to a gay wedding. And there ended up being a protest and sort of this loud, um, you know, community outcry and some new organizations formed. Um, and there's a lot more conversation that's happening now around like LGBTQ issues. And it's sort of, it's made us, you know, kind of look at our collections and go, you know, what, what do we have that kind of represents that story? And like, not surprisingly, like nothing we have that, you know, is very explicit in that. Um, So, but, you know, we've recognized that's an area where we want to grow into. And it's hard sometimes with topics like that, or like racism, other labor issues, like there's hard, there's, it's hard sometimes to find a physical representation of what that topic means. So the oral history program is a great way where we can start gathering information, you know, people are willing to talk to us about those things. That's a way where we can at least get someone's perspective on a certain topic. And and that's really exciting to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful from there that, you know, that will kind of turn into, you know, maybe sharing photos or, you know, eventually, you know, identifying things that would meaningfully represent those kind of topics. Yeah, I think some of my favorites, you know, because we have that, you know, Haley mentioned really um, the larger national stage reflected in a smaller way within our own community. Um, and I know one of the objects we, we ended up getting some protest signs. And I think my favorite part of that, serious issues and everything that's going on. And we'd have some of these protest signs. One side was protesting for the, the LGBTQIA issues that Haley was talking about. And then the very next couple of days, there was a Black Lives Matter protest. And some of these signs are actually double-sided because some of those same protesters or people involved in the movement went to one, had the sign, and then, you know, wrote and decorated the, the backside with the, you know, for the, the next meeting, the next gathering. Um, so to be able to have those signs and then have some of those stories, it's just, I think it'll add a wealth of, of information and nuance and really depth to the collection that would be lacking if we hadn't pursued those things. Well, now, one thing you mentioned, because, you know, you've been talking a lot about person-to-person approaches. That's how you build the connections. We know this. You know, it's how you build that engagement with your community. But you've also found kind of an interesting, you were telling me a little bit about it on a previous conversation, and I'd really love to have you talk about it. You've also found a way to kind of do that outreach to the community and reach more than one person at a time through your local uh, radio station, I think. Let's hear about that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, it's one thing to say that we're going out and collecting oral histories. One of the questions we always get is, well, why do you want to talk to me? And then immediately to how are you going to use this? And that's one of the things, too, is you get a lot more or we've found that you get a lot more involvement with people when you know that that story or that time they're taking with you is immediately going to be celebrated or we'll take the time to listen Um, And so creating those opportunities to actually share some of the oral histories. I mean, it's great to know that, you know, like in the coming year, uh, Ryan with the community exhibit will be able to share some of the stories. But then even things like the, um, we talked about the pioneer home and recording history with our elders. 
being able to let them know and let their families know that, hey, we're, you know, we've got a great partnership with our um, local community radio and that we'll be able to share, you know, small tidbits of these stories on the radio uh, and to really celebrate and honor the time that people are taking to give and share those stories with us and being able to find ways with programming, with exhibits to immediately turn around and make certain that we're making those recordings accessible and then put into nice packets so people can enjoy it too. (laughs) I really enjoyed living in Ketchikan and hearing my friends and neighbors on the radio. Um, (laughs) I grew up in New Jersey and a very large community and it's just quite novel for me to be driving down the one road that we have on the island. Listen, like, oh, that's my friend, or that's my coworker, or hey, that was an oral history that we just did, or just all these different aspects that it really brings that sense of community to you to be able to hear these stories represented on the air. But I, I think of you know again like how fortunate we are here in Ketchikan that some of some of these relationships have been longstanding, so way before our time. You know, we've been going and doing interviews at the radio station. And I I think, you know, if you were in another community, especially a larger community that might not do something like that, you know, that that's an opportunity where, you know, you kind of have that uncomfortable, like cold call or, you know, go down to the station and, and kind of introduce yourself and, you know, see what the, you know, see what the museum has that, you know, the radio station might be able to offer or where you can partner. I I think that's a really nice kind of way to get into it. Because I I think too, back when I was growing up, you know, we had like many, many radio stations in my hometown in Florida. And like, I, you know, I think it would have been so fascinating to have grown up hearing like more of our locals and the different appreciation for things, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and beyond, you know, the radio, that's that's something we're really excited to be doing, um, this History Allowed project with our local community radio. But being able to supply not just oral histories, uh, although that's kind of been the focus of our conversation, but making the collections open to students who are doing research, um, who are, you know, producing documentaries and things, um, I know uh, Haley Chambers and Eric Brown, so our, our collections and archival team, were able to, you know, help a local middle school uh, class, uh, a U.S. history class who does many documentaries with supplying them with research and, you know, pointing them in the right direction and, you know, supplying photos and things that would be used in their, their documentary. Um, and they've produced some really fun stuff too. Yeah, they, <laughs> they produced a really, a really sweet and informative documentary and, you know, they and turn, turned around and donated a copy of that back to the museum. We like to really celebrate and honor those, those type of opportunities and experiences. Again, I want to thank Haley, Erica, and Ryan for sharing their time, knowledge, and love of their community. I definitely want to take them up on their offer to do a follow-up when they get a little further along in some of these projects, so I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. So that's it for both parts of Episode 6. Episode 7 of our Archives Month 2021 podcast extravaganza will be coming out on Friday, October 22.